Good deal. Uh, we are excited, man. It's June. Can y'all believe it's June? I know. Me neither. I couldn't believe I survived May. And uh, we are looking at the summer. So just a, a, a glorious time of of a lot of activity, being able to commission two teams going out, being sent, having one on the field as we speak. Just a lot of excitement in what's going on in the life of our church. Really, to be honest with you, I think almost every week in the next several, we'll be commissioning a team to go. And so just really thankful for that. And also want to be mindful of the fact that uh, this week is VBS week. So we are excited to have so many children on our campus uh, as they'll learn more about the Lord and serving and following him. I know the impact that VBS had on me when I was a child. So just really excited about that. Uh, in keeping with our Summer in the Minors, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Amos, the book of Amos. And again, I'll give you a moment to find it. But the book of Amos, and we're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 4 and 5 here uh, to begin with. But just in keeping with this, Summer in the Minors, we thought it was a, a cool theme. We're trying to walk through a particularly a set of, of books in the Bible that you're probably not going to very often. You're probably not learning from or, or turning to. Our tendency is to turn to those passages that are familiar. Now, surely many of you have read through the Bible in a year, but I also know how that goes. You just kind of get through some of it. So we just wanted to bring some attention through this. We thought the theme of summer in the minors, the idea of baseball would work. And today, of course, uh, we want to announce that on July the 5th, we'll have uh, Taylor's First Baptist Church night at the Greenville Drive game. I think it's up there. Look at there. Uh, so that our, our choir will be uh, singing the national anthem. We'll be gathering together there that night. Kids two and under are free if you have those kind of questions. Uh, yeah, uh, Pastor Kevin will be leaving the choir. And by, by the way, uh, if you get to see him, Pastor Kevin has been here 15 years at Taylor's First Baptist now. So we're thankful for him and his ministry. And we're excited about this evening. We'd love for you to come out and join us together in fellowship and fun at the Greenville Drive game. If anything else, there's a lot of good food now right around that stadium. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a place at Gather Greenville that has Brussels sprouts that are incredible. And I know that that's something you won't believe, but it's something you definitely need to try. And so uh, we'll be doing that together. We're going to look today then as we move into this uh, Amos book of Amos here, um, looking at chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. I'll read that and then we'll jump right in to this passage. Amos chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. The prophet writes, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal, or cross over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for your word and thankful for the opportunity to gather. Just as we have seen those go out from us, we, we also commission those this morning and pray. We consider VBS this week and just pray over the, the children that will be here and the volunteers that are working, God, that your, your name and your word will be, will be lifted up and exalted. We gather now, as we have already sung, Father, to sing praises to you. We gather around your word to worship you. 
All of this we ask now as you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our idea here is to walk through these minor prophets and to give some sense of who they are and then what is their main message. And, and that can kind of be difficult at times. We saw last week with Joel where they spoke to the fact that the locust had come and what that meant for them. And then we saw before that Amos and how God told, oh, excuse me, Hosea, and how God told Hosea to take a, a prostitute for a wife and what that looked like and what that meant. And, and we've seen these same themes that run throughout these minor prophets. And Amos just continues those, but with a little bit of a twist here for Amos. Amos is prophesying during the same time as Hosea. It tells us in verse 1 of his book, this was during the time of Uzziah, king of Judah, and Jeroboam, king of Israel. Now remember, Israel was made up of 12 tribes, and those tribes split, basically. Ten tribes to the north, which would be known as Israel, and two tribes to the south, known as Judah. And so he's putting this in context of during this time. And, and, and Amos's job here as he's come from the Lord is to speak to Israel, this tribes of the north. And here he, he tells us in, in chapter 1 that he's, he's prophesying about two years before the great earthquake. And so evidently this earthquake had come and, and made this massive uh, devastation in the area so that everybody kind of dated around the earthquake. We do similar things, you know. We, we have major events that we think of, of, of when it may happen and how it worked. And, and so this earthquake's mentioned in Zechariah. It's mentioned in other places in the scriptures. All that is to say that that kind of bears to the credibility of Amos. I mean, in the sense of he's telling us exactly when he prophesied. He's not hiding this. This is not just some made-up person. This was at a, a date and time during the reign of, of Uzziah and the reign of Jeroboam. So, so here you have some sense in which this is an individual Amos speaking to a people at a particular place and at a particular time. And he, as all the other prophets that we have in Scripture, Scripture are speaking God's word to God's people. All we know about Amos is important. I'm saying we don't know much about him, but what we do know is important. It tells us that he was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which was an area about 20 miles south of Jerusalem. In fact, chapter 7, verse 14, he defines the, what among the shepherds of Tekoa means. He was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore trees, it says, meaning that he probably managed the cattle. That was what the herdsman did. And, and the one that was the dresser of sycamore trees would be the one that would go and, and take the, the fruit of that and, and slice it so it can ripen more quickly and watch over those things. And so here he is living among the shepherds and the herdsmen in the south in Tekoa, managing the cows and other things. Now, the reason why that is important is because all of those categories, a dresser of sycamore trees, a herdsman, a shepherd, all of those categories would have put him in the social basement, if you will. He would be basically an outcast. Shepherds at this time were worse in some ways than heathens. They would live amongst animals. They smelt like those animals. They weren't considered worthy to be a, a, amongst the more cultured people, if you will. So they, they weren't really welcome there. In fact, 
rabbis raided shepherds along with the heathens. So when they came to synagogues, possibly to worship, those synagogues would be off limits to them. There's stories, even as you read this, of how the rabbis would, would take the offerings of shepherds and throw them out, not to be accepted. They weren't worthy to come into the temple to be accepted. So here you have Amos, who's in the social basement, if you will. He is a cast out. He is not welcomed at worship. He's not welcome to come in. And the Lord is going to use this Amos, this shepherd. His message is going to come through him to confront the very leadership that will not welcome him. This message that Amos has is going to confront the people for their corrupt worship. The rabbis and the leaders who will not accept even the shepherds coming in, they're going to be confronted for their corrupt worship. In other words, God is using this shepherd, this herdsman, this outcast to speak to the religious people of his day. And the very heart of what Amos is bringing found there in chapter 6, verse 1, a, a, a famous verse in Amos. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion. Woe to those who feel like there's peace in the house of God. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, he says. So under King Jeroboam, during this time, we've noted before that there was great blessing. Under King Jeroboam, the, the blessing had come to the people. There was financial blessing. There was prosperity in the land. Everything was going great. Everybody felt good. The price of gas was pretty cheap. Y'all know what I mean. And so there was great blessing under Jeroboam. But what's happened is amongst the people, that blessing had not led the people to be thankful. And that blessing of God had not led the people to be faithful. So instead of taking the blessing of God and giving thanksgiving to him in worship, instead of taking the blessing of God and living faithfully before him in life, they had done the exact opposite. They had become greedy and they had become ruthless. That becomes the charge that's given to them. They become more and more greedy and more and more ruthless. In fact, it says that they are stealing from the very oppressed using violence and robbery in chapter 3 to take from those who don't have and give it to those who do. They're dealing deceitfully, he says in chapter 8, with false balances. In other words, they're like thieves is what they are. The leadership is like thieves. They've, they've made the Sabbath day into a money-making day like every other day, chapter 8 tells us. They're, they're stealing even on God's day. They've turned justice into wormwood, which is bitter, and they've cast down righteousness. Their society has become unjust. They take bribes. They push aside the needy, and they steal and rob and even kill, Amos says. So they've taken the blessing of God, and instead of turning in thankfulness to that and faithfulness to living for him, they've taken the blessing of God, and they become even more greedy. They desire even more, and they live their life as thieves and robbers in power, if you will. This is why that passage, that famous passage in, in Amos that it has in chapter 5, verse 24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos is saying here quite bluntly, quite bluntly, that this will not be the way it's going to be in God's house or with his people. 
corrupt worship has turned into an unjust society, which has led to devastating consequences. And there, there are those who are put out, those who are set aside, those who are considered less than. It will be those that God will use, like Amos, like Hosea before. Amos speaks, as I said here quite bluntly, believe it or not, even more bluntly than some of the other prophets in some ways. He's speaking to the leadership of Israel. And here we see the major difference that he wants to confront. The difference here between what is true or what is counterfeit worship. The difference in what is dead faith and what is living faith. The difference in what's true or counterfeit worship is what he's doing. And really, this gets to the heart. This gets to the heart of the difference between Christianity and religion. I'm sure you've heard this before, uh, and, and, and I don't want it to sound kind of tropish or, or just cheesy, but in some reality, what we need to understand is there's a clear difference between Christianity and religion. Religion, at its essence, involves human efforts to please God and to become acceptable before him. That's its essence. It's man's attempt to honor God or to get to God. In reality, that's what it is. Even you can go back to Genesis chapter 3 when sin entered the world and, and man and God were separated. Immediately, false religion came into play because the efforts of men was to try to get back to God. There was a separation between man and God and their efforts were to try to get back to him. And so all of religion becomes that. They seek God in any way they can find him. They look for him in anything they can do. They try to add up some sort of thing they can accomplish so that they can become pleasing to whatever God it is that they're looking to serve. That's what religion really is. Christianity, however, is different. It's not about man's effort, but God's grace and his goodness to save man. It's not about what man can do to get to God, but about what God has done to get to us. And you may think this is somewhat out of place, somewhat anachronistic. Josh, you're talking about the Old Testament, and now you're going to speak of Christianity, which at the heart of Christianity is Jesus himself, Jesus Christ. And so how can you talk about the Old Testament here and say this is the difference between Christianity and religion, and in reality, Jesus hasn't come yet. But the essence of salvation for the people of God, is the same here in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. The essence of salvation for the people of God is believing and trusting in the unmerited promises of God. You see, what saves people, if I can use that language in the Old Testament, I think I can, what saves them from their sin is believing in the promises that God has made that he will send one to redeem them, to save them. What saves us now from our sin is believing in the promises that God has made that he has sent one to save us and redeem us. Either way, it's believing in the unmerited grace and mercy of God and his promises. That's what salvation is. And so I can speak, I think, in some ways to say here we can see the difference between religion and Christianity. And what does that mean for us then? How does that bear out in our life and in our worship? As far as we're concerned as Christians, our worship is not, and it must not be, an attempt to earn God's favor. It's a response to God's grace and salvation. 
It's a response to his favor, not an attempt to earn it. It's a response to his faithfulness, a response to his kindness, a response to his justice, a response to his mercy. It's a response to his great and glorious promises that he has given us. Our worship is an overflow response of those things, not an attempt to earn them. And Amos here charges that the people here in the Old Testament the people that were supposed to know God and follow God, his, his charge here is that their worship was dead. Their worship's dead. And he gives an autopsy of a dead worship is what he's doing here in this passage, an autopsy of a dead worship. So your worship's dead? Let me tell you why. Because dead worship first Dead worship seeks to earn God's favor through quantity of offerings. Dead worship seeks to earn God's favor through a quantity of offerings. Here, he says in Amos chapter 4, if you could look back there with me, and he kind of walked through this, this chapter for us. In Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, he says, Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgression, bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days, offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim freewill offerings, publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Here, the Lord is confronting them because they seem religious. They're coming on the days they're supposed to come. They're doing the things they're supposed to do. They're adding up all that they're offering. They're doing their sacrifice. They're, they're tithing. They're proclaiming their free will offerings. They're doing all of these things. They were, they were teaching here, and the leadership was showing that they could go through their rituals. They would check off the boxes. This is what it means by it says Bethel and, Bethel and Gilgal. These were centers of worship for the people. This is where they would go to offer sacrifices, like synagogues, if you will. They would go into Bethel. They would go into Gilgal. They'll go into Beersheba. We'll see that one in a little bit. These places are just the central places of their worship. He says you keep going to those places, and you keep seeking to meet your spiritual obligations if you will. But as in Luke chapter 18 with the Pharisees, they were going to these places, but they were telling everybody what they were doing. It even says it. He says, you go to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. You're telling everybody what you're doing. You're saying, hey, look what I'm giving. Look what I'm offering. Look what I'm... Look, it even says, you go and you sacrifice, but you publish what you sacrifice. You're doing all of this as if you are building up your resume. You're telling everyone what you brought. It's like the old lady at the potluck. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever been to a potluck and gone and you have the lady that comes in and says, now I brought that dish, that dish, that dish, and that dish, and I'm saying thank you. I'm not eating any of it. You see what I mean? The good ones are the ones who simply bring in that one dish that they're great at. I'm, by the way, I'm an expert at potluck. If you need any questions you need to have, just seek, seek it. We'll do it. But that's what he's saying. They're coming in and they're, they're publishing and proclaiming what they're bringing. They're publishing and proclaiming their offerings. They thought they were creating, in other words, a resume through their worship. They were adding to the list. Look at what I have done. Look at how much I have 
accomplished. Look at how much I have given. Look at how much I have, I have offered. They're building their resume in some sense before God as if to think they can earn some merit or favor from him. Look at what I have done and what I have accomplished. I remember... I remember whenever I had my first time I, I did a job with a resume, y'all. Uh, uh, the first time I did it, I was talking to my mom and my dad, and, and it was like, uh, you're building your resume, and when you're young and you don't have anything to put on it, you put everything on it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I walked my neighbor's dog one time, you know. I, 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 took, care of, I took care of their plants and watered them a couple times. I've cut 10 yards, and when my dad asked me to cut my yard, I don't complain. You know, those kind of things. I remember stacking up my first resume with a bunch of nonsense, thinking that's what's going to win. I did. I stacked up my resume with a bunch of nonsense. I was putting it all there. I had it all in place. I was so excited, and I got the job. I got the job. And I remember saying to the guy who, who gave me the job, that first resume, I remember saying to him, bro, uh, I, I noticed you hired me. Was it my resume? You know what his response was? Never read it. I talked to somebody who knew you already, and they told me about what you are and who you are, and I hired them on their word. My friends, oftentimes we come to worship trying to earn something from God, trying to do God a favor by us coming, say, look what we have done, God. I've been here every week. And then we get into the week and we get into our life and we think, God, why are these things happening to me? Didn't I come to worship this past Sunday? It's almost like a bargain. Didn't I do this for you? Didn't I do all this for you? And now these things are happening. We live our life like that. But quite often our job, our first job, or our eternity is not built off the resume that we have. In fact, we cannot build a good enough resume to earn favor or merit in the eyes of God. In fact, it's just like my first job. When I say to the Lord, is, and I get into heaven, am I here because of my resume? He says, no, I talk to my son about you, right? I talk to Jesus about you. And he has covered, he has spoken for you. And the only reason you are here is because of what Jesus has done. If we think we can earn some favor in God's eyes by the way we worship or what we offer or what we give, we are sorely mistaken. Our resume, our resume could never be big enough, strong enough, or great enough. We cannot merit that kind of blessing. But it's Jesus who's done it for us. He's the one who speaks on our behalf. And so that's why when we sing, we don't sing as if we are offering up our resume, speaking to our what we've done and what we've accomplished. Some of you don't sing. You act like you're doing God a favor if you open your mouth. No, in reality, we sing because of what Jesus has done for us and what he's brought. Our worship is not measured in the quantity of what we offer. But the quality, true worship is not about building our resume, but proclaiming God's resume, proclaiming his name. Second, he says, dead worship is more evident on Monday through Saturday than it is on Sunday. 
Dead worship is more evident on Monday through Saturday than it is on Sunday. They were trying to come into God's presence in worship but not live in his presence every week. That's a sign of a dead faith, a dead worship. Trying to come into God's presence on Sunday, trying to, to come into his presence but not live in his presence every day. They were acting like sin was a big deal on, in their worship, their offerings and their songs. They're making offerings because of their sinfulness. They're singing songs of praise because of God's forgiveness from their sinfulness. They're acting like sin is a big deal in their worship, in their offerings, and in their songs, but like it was no big thing at all the rest of the week, living in it. Amos says, this is a problem for you guys. They were going through their life without any thought of God. And God, Amos is, God's saying through Ramus, you cannot fool me this way. In verses 6 through 11 of chapter 4, God is trying to get their attention. By the way, this is God's grace. Just read this as God's grace to them. He's trying to get their attention. He starts out in verse 6. He says, you've got a lack of food. It tells in verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. Now, you may think that's a good thing. We need some clean teeth. What he's talking about there is you don't have anything to eat. I've given you cleanness of teeth in your cities and lack of bread in your places. So, so this lack of food, the Lord says, I've done that. He says, I've withheld the rain. I've made it inconvenient for you. Some gets rain, some doesn't. Some things flourish, others don't. I've made it inconvenient for you. I've ruined crops, he says in verse 9. In verse 10, your armies have lost when they go to battle. In verse 11, there's been judgment of life and death in all of these things. Let Look at what it says in verse 6, in verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. At the end of all of the Lord said, I've done all of this, yet you did not return to me. Yet you did not return to me. Yet you did not return to me. The Lord is saying, I've, I've sent things to get your attention. I'm trying to get your attention. You are worshiping and you think you have a living worship in faith, but you don't. And I'm trying to get your attention here. That your sin is real and it must be dealt with and it has to be taken seriously. Not in just one day or one way, but in a lifestyle of repentance and following after me, the Lord's saying. He sends all of these things to get their attention, to turn back from him. We saw this last week in Joel as well. How the Lord brings a discipline like a, like a megaphone to us. To say, don't stay in your sin, but turn back to me. All of these things are there, he said. The Lord has sent it all. What we must understand about the word of God and living as a believer is that repentance is a lifestyle. You cannot pretend that you take sin seriously. You can't play that game. True worship is reflected in a lifestyle of faithfulness to a gracious Savior. True worship is reflected in a lifestyle of faithfulness to a gracious Savior. I, I can point to, to probably the most famous passage, I think, in the New Testament on worship is Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I can point you there, and, and I, I want to, and we'll read that. But I think Revelation 12, 1 and 2 must be read in light of all of the book of Revelation, especially the ending of chapter 8 and the ending of chapter 11. The ending of chapter 8 is, is a culmination of a whole stretch. Revela uh, excuse me, Romans, did I say Revelation from the start? 
Uh, that's crazy, y'all. Romans. I know y'all probably thinking he knows he's dumb. Romans. Romans chapter 8. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is that passage. But at the end of Romans chapter 8, you have the culmination of this long argument, right, of how God has saved us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. How God has saved us when we couldn't save ourselves. How he's come to all of sinners, all our sinners and, and, and deserve death, as it says. But, but he's given us the free grace of God that we can have life and no condemnation. And at the end of Romans 8, you get this incredible passage. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What an incredible passage. And then he answers this question. He kind of takes an aside in chapter 9 and 10 to speak to the Jew and Gentile issue. And then he comes back to it in chapter 11. And at the end of all of this talk about God's salvation, about how he saves us when we don't deserve it, how he brings us life, he says at the end of it, oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has been given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Then, he says, therefore I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that means because of all that's come before of how God has saved you, redeemed you, and keeps you. How this is only of his grace and of his glory. How this is what he desires to do to bring you back to himself. Because of all that God has done for you now, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Your life then becomes a living sacrifice. And that, he says, is your act of worship. In other words, our worship is not confined to an hour, to two hours, to a morning. Our worship is confined to a life of glory unto his name. True worship is reflected in a lifestyle of faithfulness, a lifestyle of living to a gracious Savior, a lifestyle that's honoring to him. And dead worship will be seen in an attempt to earn something from God at a specific time, in a specific place, and then forget God the rest of the time. Amos confronts the people for this dead worship they're living and calls them to live for him. Third and finally, dead worship is only concerned about the present, temporal things. 12 and 13, chapter 4, 
Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the winds and declares to man what is thought, who makes the morning and darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. True worship, true worship prepares you for eternity. True worship prepares you to meet your God. Dead worship is only about the now. It's only about the temporal. True worship points to something greater, something that's eternal, something that's beyond what this world has to offer. Points you there. We were created by God to glorify and honor God. And my friends, that is exactly what satisfies us. We're all looking for satisfaction. We fill our life looking for satisfaction. It's how we choose restaurants. It's how we we pick what we want to eat. It's, It's how we spend our Saturdays. We're looking for something to satisfy us in life. And what we recognize and must know that it is only God and his truth and his word that can satisfy us. And so our life becomes a living, active worship of him. And that is how we will ultimately be satisfied in finding our meaning, our life, our all and all in the Lord. You say, well, it's your job, Josh, church, worship leaders, other things. It's your job to lead us into worship. And I say, no, it's not. It's not at all. We want to do it well, and we want to do it nice, and we want to sing. My goodness, we give every option we can give here in the life of our church for that purpose so that you can find a preference. But it's just, if it's just about a preference from you, you are missing out on what worship truly is. Worship, as we gather together on Sunday morning, is just an expression of what has been happening in our life Monday through Saturday, as we rejoice in the provision of God, in his kindness, and in his salvation. And really, the whole week has been preparation for us to gather together in this place with other believers to say, do y'all know what God did for me this week? Y'all know what he's done for me and my family? Do you know what I'm dealing with now? I need some people to pray. I need to rejoice in the Lord. I need to think that what's happening to me right now is not eternal. It won't be here forever, that there will be a day when these things will fade away. I need to know again that there's something greater that I am waiting on. That's why we come together. That's why we sing, not as a way to conjure up something in you, but as a way to express what God has been doing through you and in your life. Amos is saying you guys are dead because you think it's a resume builder. You guys are dead because you think worship is a bargain with the Lord. You guys are dead because you think it's only about right now and you're just in this instant gratification moment. You guys are dead because worship is not a resume builder. Worship is an expression of thankfulness to what God has done through his own resume. Our salvation and our life. That's why he says in chapter 5, I read earlier, thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live. I want you to know that that seek me and live 
is one of the great blessings, the greatest blessing you could ever know. That's the grace of God, that the one who is greater and more holy than us, who's distant and separated from us, has said to us, come to me. You can enter into my presence. You can find life. You can find joy. Come to me in this way. That chapter 5, verse 4 there in 5 is an invitation to us all. And what does he say? The Lord says, seek the Lord. He says it again in verse 6. Seek the Lord and live. Don't seek tailors first and live. Don't seek activities and live. He's saying it. Don't seek Bethel. Don't seek Gilgal. Don't seek Beersheba. Don't seek those things and live. Seek God and live. Seek the Lord and live. And where is the Lord found? He is not found in a building. He's not found in a particular day. He is not found in a particular style. He's not found in any old tradition. He's not found in any of those things at all. The Lord God is found in his son, Jesus Christ. And the difference between Christianity and all the other religions is religion is an effort for us to get back to God, but in reality, as the scripture says, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no effort if in us to go anywhere or to do anything to find God. What Christianity tells us is that while we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we had no power in and of ourselves to find him, he came to us and he raised us from the dead and he gave us life. Jesus found me. I didn't find him. That's the story of scripture. And so my goodness, why would I not rejoice in the fact that my life has been saved from my own sinfulness and my own death? It has been saved because Jesus has come to me and found me. That, my friends, is the reason why we worship. That's the reason we rejoice. That's the reason why we sing and we celebrate, and that's the reason why we live our life before him. Amos says, don't fall for a dead faith. Don't think you're doing something that's going to get you something that they can never accomplish. Trust in the Lord. Seek him and live. If you want your worship to have life, then you must find your life in Jesus Christ. The invitation is for all. Seek the Lord and live. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word, for it is good for us. And God, I pray that, that everyone here today is seeking you and finding life. That we're not trying to offer up something to you that you we think is going to earn some merit or some favor in your eyes, but that in reality, our worship is simply an outpouring of the great grace by which you have given us in Jesus Christ our Lord. If someone is here today and doesn't know Christ, hasn't truly sought after him, God, I pray. I pray that they'll stop looking in buildings and in places and in times and in other things, God. I pray today that they will seek you and live and find you in Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord. God, thank you for messages for your word that draws our attention to you. May we, may we worship you now with a living worship of thankfulness. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you need to seek the Lord and live, we got Pastor Steve and Pastor Nathan standing in the back. They'd love to help you in this. All you got to do is step out and speak to them.
you're today and you want to rededicate yourself to true and faithful worship and lifestyle, we would love to pray with you. We would love to speak to you about that. Joining our church, being a part of our body, we would love for you to to join here so we can worship truly the Lord together as we stand and sing.